0: Okay, um, our cat, just remember that she's having a midlife crisis.
1: So. It's all right. Can it's you right. hear What's her th- even? No, I can't hear her. But tell us about the cat. Just... I want to know the name. Okay, yeah, there's yeah, a please. cat that's having a Please give us the name first. She's a man? What's her name?
2: Bascote. Bascote.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like a cookie, I guess. Oh. Yeah, because she, she
2: she reminds me of these. Um, I once made these cookies that were a combination of peanut butter, chocolate, and vanilla. And she's a calico cat. So she's all those colors. Hey. So to me, I call her Bascote.
3: Very cute.
2: Also,
0: she's crumbly. She has only three legs. <laughs> no. Oh, no, oh, cool. no. Also
1: <laughs> a victim of the, of the Zionist. Oh, go, that's not a good, that's not she's a good joke. She's actually literally
2: from Ya'bad. Yeah, she's literally from Janine. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, well,
1: she's a, she is
2: about that life.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Well, hey, you know what? This is a good intro to, to the usual <laughs> yeah. the usual um, lightheartedness that you have to uh, approach this, this, the subject matter mm. with. Hold on. Um could you please Please don't uh, put
0: that on the the podcast that I called her crumbly please. No, don't put that?
1: No, it's, it's too late. It's, it's too late. It's all it it's all on record. You said it. Okay, hold on. I have one question for you guys before we and before I ask you about any positive experiences that you had with your fantastic website. Do you guys remember the IDF information release where they supposedly released audio between two uh, Hamas <laughs> yeah. fighters um, yeah, about rolled. the bombing of the hospital and the guy uh-huh. was like, Shoo.
0: <laughs> "You <laughs>
1: have,
2: eh. yeah, no, he's like, eh." <laughs>
0: yeah yeah they're more they've released like three so far and they're all more ridiculous than the last
2: no, okay who yeah. did the JFK one did no, it, the, who, no no the JF- I don't J F K one wasn't dumb but who did that because that was brilliant. Did any of you
1: hear that? Uh uh-uh. I have not they, heard this one. They Hold made on, one the one
0: like uh, Hamas operatives uh, discussing the assassination of JFK. Oh, JFK. <laughs> <laughs> the assassination of JFK. And they're just oh like my God. because because the official Israeli uh, Twitter account released a new one of those conversations from yesterday, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm going to escape through any one of these ambulances," and they're like, "Oh you know, yeah, yeah." So now they're justifying basically bombing all these ambulances. <laughs> oh and I it's mean. like it's like Hamas operatives are like uh, oblivion NPCs talking about war crimes and terrorism <laughs> all day. You know, like there's just and just happened to pick this one up after the war crime happened. All right. Very convenient.
1: You know, my, my, my favorite part about all this is uh, how uh, they're trying to reveal like this pre-planning of horrible crimes, supposedly uh, perpetuated by Hamas. Um, but they uh, bleep out the names because they don't want to yeah. dox them.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: That's a step too far.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, we'll kill our families, but doxing, you know what? Oh. All right, We learn from what's going on on YouTube with the the, the white lady that reacts and the, the other, I don't remember. Uh, no. They don't want
0: to get cancelled. <laughs> they don't want to get cancelled.
1: Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, leading into the proper banter question: Have you guys had any? I mean, you've you've had you've been running the the decolonized Palestine project for quite a bit now. But since October, I'm assuming there have been some developments, uh, maybe negative or possibly positive. I'm, I'm wondering if, if you've experienced anything.
0: Well, there's a huge, huge increase in traffic. Obviously, uh, we launched actually around uh, 2021 in May first mm. on May Day. Very based uh, and. Uh, that was uh, that was around the, the time of the Sheikh Jarrah events. Mm. So uh, we noticed that around these types of events, there tend to be a huge interest, spike of interest in Palestine and learning. But nothing like this time. This time has mm. been absolutely massive. The amount of people trying to learn, and we're getting a lot of mails. Some of it hate mails. Some of it people mm. genuinely trying to understand. We've been DDoS attacked
2: a few times. Oh, uh, wow. that's yeah. surprising!
0: And. It's, uh, but we, we, uh, we it was based up our in Sidarot
2: too, and I was like, "Damn, I didn't realize there were any of y'all left there." To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be up in our shit like this, oh,
0: yeah. yeah, it was before Like not even bothering with a VPN or anything; it's just like a mm. hundred thousand hits from Ciderot in like one wow. hour. Mm.
2: But yeah, yeah, it's
0: it's uh, it's. Uh, I I'm glad that people are uh, more interested. I mean, it's it's a shame that it took an event such as this to spark the interest, but. Uh, it's, think it helps.
2: It's definitely been interesting to see. Uh, we've seen people printing out the QR codes to the website and plastering it all over their campuses and stuff. Like mm. even that stopantisemitism.org people, they were kind of uh, complaining about that. Uh, but it's been really nice. It's like seeing people be interested in posters and, and printouts, which we've been working on to be uh, available soon.
1: Mm, Uh, And then
2: the kind of the bizarre things Like Fatih mentioned some of the mail But I'm still thinking about TMZ Asking us what we think about Selena Gomez not calling for a ceasefire
1: (laughs) Okay please elaborate Elaborate on this
2: We got
0: two emails from TMZ I was like the TMZ Like you are emailing us Like who are we And the first email was asking about Gal Gadot Because she's going to be doing this uh, She's going to be presenting this uh, video The Yeah Yeah, and the second one was about Selena Gomez, like both siding basically. What's going on? And uh, so it's like, this is ridiculous. Why are we being asked by like TMZ, like really TMZ, the TMZ?
1: Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. You guys are are, are getting into the big leagues, all right. Um, uh, Biscuit, she, she's gonna start uh, being <laughs> she's gonna be start being photographed around the neighborhood. Uh, so the little, cat's no, going no, house troller. cat. She's a house cat, alhamdulillah, yes. yes. keep her that way. Uh, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> after, the, uh, after the episode, I do want a picture of the cat. I think it's only oh, fair. Oh, we
0: have stuff. <laughs> nah, don't please. worry.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D program. Today, we have a fantastic set of guests, people who have been wanting to get on for, for uh, quite a bit. And uh, it's a shame <laughs> that it took such a major event mm. uh, to, to, you know, but alhamdulillah, regardless, uh, we've gotten them on. And that is the fabulous people behind uh, DecolonizedPalestine.com. For those who are uninitiated or unaware, Decolonized Palestine is a um, independent project. It's self funded and run by two Palestinians living within uh, Palestine, of course, occupied Palestine, because all all Palestine is occupied. And they cover a whole host of uh, incredibly valuable information from essentially like a one on one list on Palestine, going through the history uh, from like ancient times till today, covering many myths that you hear uh, online, particularly, but even from like Talking Heads. Uh, and pundits on CNN and Fox and and wherever else um, from the fucking EU chancellor and shit Um, it covers uh, they have dedicated uh, uh, tabs also about the different kind of you know greenwashing pinkwashing rainbowwashing that uh, the settler-colonial entity carries out they have a fantastic reading list generally a, a invaluable resource, and it's also beautifully stylized. But let, let, let me let me give the floor to the people themselves. Please introduce yourselves, let the audience know who you are, what you do, where they can find you. Shout out, whatever you like.
0: Hey, good evening. Uh, my name is Fatih Hinnimer. I am a Palestine Policy Fellow at Al-Shabaka and the co-founder of DecolonizePalestine.com.
2: Hi, and I'm uh, Rowan Masri. I uh, work as a translator for the Palestinian Museum in Birzeit. Uh, I'm also with a co-founder of DecolonizedPalestine.com.
1: Hey, very nice. It's it's lovely to have you guys. They have a support us tab on their website at DecolonizedPalestine.com. There is also a Patreon link that you can go and click there. It's Decolonized Palestine. It will be down in the description box thing. Um, Be sure to financially support these people, please. (laughs) Their work is absolutely fantastic and uh, uh, indispensable, invaluable, genuinely. The more you support them, the bigger and better projects that they're going to be uh, moving on to in the future, which they also list on their uh, Support Us tab, which includes, for example, a NECPA War Crimes database uh, and a bunch of other projects that they're planning on doing, which is Mm. something that is genuinely fantastic. If if it's not done now, um, then it might not ever be done uh, in an extensive and easily um, accessed uh, form. Uh, So this is genuinely a uh, great labor of love as well as completely necessary. And we thank you guys for it. Mm. Anyways, (laughs) it's clear clear you guys don't do this very often, Um, but uh, let's No, we're
2: just like overwhelmed by your generosity. It's incredible. And of course, yeah, the support, uh, we've been really grateful for it and how it's helped us uh, be able to focus on it and helped us kind of rely on our, uh, you know, our other jobs less and have, be able to put all this time towards it, especially since, I mean, obviously before we've put out the website and we've been working on these things and trying to answer people's questions, but definitely since October 7th, it's been Mm. kind of like pedal to the metal feels very critical and very urgent to kind of dispel a lot of these misconceptions and to take advantage of a lot of people who weren't talking about us before talking about us now Mm. feels really good to be kind of part of this movement. Pushing this discourse to where it needs to be because it was in such a limited place for so many years. Yeah. And now mm, it exactly feels like we right. can actually say some things that we've been prevented from saying before.
0: Yeah. And the thing is that it's like the problem is that all of these myths have been debunked like decades ago. And there is no lack of books on the t- t- mm. topic. There is so much out there, especially like when we're talking now in the age of information, but it's also the age of misinformation like Ben Shapiro your favorite Hakeem, by himself has uh, <laughs> has like uh, a few books out so when people say go read a book that's no longer something that you can just go take for granted because there's a lot of garbage out there
2: yeah absolutely
0: uh, so we tried to kind of like curate a list of resources that are trusted that are good like because there's also a lot of palest on palestine even like from the so called pro palestinian yani but um, sometimes it's just you know, it's not a monolith. There is a moderate wing, there's the more radical wing, and it's it's like it's sometimes you need to also be able to take a step back and like criticize your own movement, uh, especially over the last 30 years with the Oslo process going on, a lot of moderation going on. But uh, yeah, we, we were happy to launch the website. It took us a couple of years to work on uh, of straight up writing. And uh, and thank you. The, I really uh, feel very special about the art because uh, we 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 looked for a long time for the artists. To Big do part the of website. Fatih's
2: vision there, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I just uh, it just uh, it means a lot. And uh, we from from the beginning, from the beginning, we did not because we have some offers of sponsorship, by the way, but we did not want to be sponsored by anyone. We wanted Mm -hmm. to keep it like a grassroots sponsored by only the people who, you know, read and appreciate what's going on. We don't want to be part of anybody's agenda or just to be like kind of like a fundraiser thing. Like we just uh, want to maintain our independence and not be kind of pressured into any direction to just really say our conscience. And that's uh, I think we've been uh, successful in maintaining that so far.
2: And it's been a blessing to be able to carve out that space for us because like, even in Palestine, if you will, um, just so many NGOs here are so dependent on foreign funding and uh, have all these conditions put on what reports uh, can be put out and are constantly being told like, well, you need to convince them, you need to do this, you need to uh, change words, you can't alienate. The kind of white person who is nice enough to not be super, super racist Mm -hmm. and is only like a little bit racist and try to (laughs) get them onto your Mm. side. And so it's been a blessing to not have to worry about all that and to be able to kind of respond to, to the moment as we're seeing it.
1: Oh, exactly right. And it's uh, incredibly important on both ends, the fact that you can maintain your independence, but also at the same time uh, deliver these messages as as unfiltered uh, and as clearly as you can. Uh, On the point that you mentioned that there's a lot of resources, you're very right, there are many resources, but the barrier to entry is a bit... Because uh, the, the issue is incredibly simple, but because of how much information there is, it, be, it looks very difficult yeah. and people don't uh, enter into the topic. Uh, but your website uh, is fantastic because it's broken down specifically in a one-on-one way. You can go directly to the question mark you have in your mind and have it answered. And particularly the myth section is 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 beyond fantastic because yeah. it covers it in an incredibly succinct manner and genuinely uh we cannot appreciate you enough for the work that you've done
2: i i want to say uh i i guess this is we've been talking about this but yeah i'm very much not a fan of just google it kind of Mm -hmm. rhetoric like oh don't like why are you making me tired to educate you it's like no i am glad to to be a part of sharing this information because it really is incredible. I mean, even before Google wasn't the best place to try to look up mm, stuff about yeah. Palestine unless you already knew what you were looking for, but now it's just horrendous. Like even like today I was just doing some kind of like basic research into Hamas versus uh, Qassam kind of like mm. differences or like the the origins of the like Details about the Fatah and Hamas, like split, and everything that comes up, just without fail, is like security studies, Hamas, like Al Qaeda, like it's just not. <laughs> yeah. It's buried. It's really something, and it's been it's been so much worse, I think, since October seventh.
0: Yeah, and now you have a bunch of websites also with all the all the AI written stuff that you just scan something <laughs> yeah. and come out with nothing, and then you know those whole sensationalist claims about how AI is going to be, you know, neutral and it, you know, transcends yeah. uh, humans and what else? It's it's basically uh, yeah. scanning the internet and giving you an answer based on that and what's on the internet. Yeah. It's going to give you and what's on the internet is trash.
2: And in their case, very well-funded, coordinated trash, so.
1: Yeah, exactly right that's the that's the big point there but you mentioned since october 7th for the uninitiated or for maybe people listening in the future uh what had happened in or what's going on in, in Palestine right now october 7th till today roughly october 7th 2023 for people f- uh, listening in the potential future uh could you please give us a rundown as deep or or not deep as you would like
0: okay well on it October 7th- started in nineteen forty. It's
1: going to be so a long, long episode. episode. I'm kidding,
2: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay,
0: please go. No, well, but no, she, well, I mean, she has a point in a way because it's, it, there's, there's this tendency to try to, you know, segment Palestinian experiences mm-hmm. into geographic and time zones, like different because we're so segmented here and everything like is seen as some kind of distinct escalation. But let me just talk about October 7th for, and maybe we can go back a little bit later to talk a little bit about the context that set up October 7th, because I'm sure as your listeners are aware, this did. Not begin on October 7th, like something like this does not materialize out of thin air. But on October 7th uh, Hamas uh, carried out uh, its Aqsa uh, flood uh, guerrilla operation that uh, basically broke free of the Gaza ghetto or concentration camp or name it whatever you want. It's a place that is comprised of refugees that were ethnically cleansed in 1947 and 1948 and they were not allowed to return simply for not being Jewish because that would constitute a demographic threat to the Israeli uh, regime. So they've been trapped inside of this very small ghetto, which is, I think, what, 300-something kilometers squared. is absolutely tiny. And they are besieged from every area. Yeah, Yeah. and they're besieged from every area. And they have no human rights, basically. And so they basically broke out of this on October 7th. And uh, most of the, the fighters of Hamas... Since that the majority of the residents are refugees, these the areas outside of Gaza are actually their hometowns. Like they were for the first time, were able to go out and see their hometowns that they were expelled from so long ago. And uh, in the process, obviously, they managed to wipe out a big part of the the Gaza battalion, which was a battalion specifically trained to do operations in Gaza and to. Be, they're basically the warden of Gaza at this point. This was uh, on the Gaza front. Now, of course, Israel responded with absolute crazy murder. Uh, uh, We have also things in the West Bank are on fire. We have settlers going all over the place and are uh, basically burning down some villages. They're kicking people out of their homes. Around 900 people or so have been kicked out of their community, like for good, never to return by these settlers. They go to these isolated uh, areas uh, and kick And Okay. Okay. So yeah, in the West Bank as well, we have settlers going out and Israel is basically um, arresting people in a very, very heightened manner. We're talking about thousands of new prisoners added to the already 6,000 prisoners that existed prior to October Uh, 6th. 2,000 of them are so-called administrative detainees who are uh, arrested without any due process, without any kind of charges. Even their lawyers don't know what charges they're being charged for. They just know that they are in prison and this is indefinitely renewable. So they could stay, like, so some people have literally spent decades of their lives in administrative detention without even a charge leveled against them. Mm. Uh, inside uh, 48, uh, or the Green Line, as it's known internationally, uh, also there's been a huge campaign of terror against Palestinians. Uh, these are you, the you're Palestinians speaking have,
1: specifically about the Palestinians who live within, quote-unquote, yes. Israel proper. Yeah.
0: Yes, these are the Palestinians that have Israeli citizenship, technically. Yep. Uh, They're also being there are huge campaigns of intimidation. Some students uh, were holed up in a university because their Jewish neighbors, uh, student neighbors, were uh, talking about killing all the Arabs and they were trying to, you know, expel all the Arabs in the dorms. Like we're talking about real terror happening. They
2: eventually were forced to leave the dorms. By the way,
0: yeah, the Palestinians, not uh, people calling for their expulsion. Of course, of course. <laughs> So like, it's 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 very tense. It's very difficult. And of course, Gaza has been undergoing savage bombing over the last 31 days. Uh, it's the main front right now between Gaza uh, and uh, Israel. And we're talking about what, around
2: 11,000, I think, killed so far, uh, yeah. 4,000 children. And that's not uh, counting the people who are under the rubble without yeah. the proper tools to be able to take them out. So inevitably, a lot of those people will be dead as well.
0: Yeah, and there are people who started dying of dehydration because at the beginning, Israel cut off all the, all the water, cut off the power, cut off the fuel, which basically that means that everything's come to a stop. Even there were nurses who were forced to drink from IV bags, but now they've run out of IV bags. So it's, there's absolutely nothing that they could do. So even if the bombing stopped right now, the casualties would still keep going up because people are dying of hunger and dying of thirst.
2: Mm-hmm. Euromed was actually that said that at least 12 children have died of uh, starvation and dehydration at this point.
1: And a systematic nature, not only, that, not only at this point, but uh, the uh, illegal set of colonial forces... Um, have been directly targeting UN personnel, they've been targeting clinics and hospitals, they've been targeting any means of subsistence for the Palestinian people within Gaza, which include, for example, their fishing boats on the coast so that they can't fish. The um, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly right. It's included shipments, few, the, the very few that have come in from Egypt, uh, with drinking water that have been struck. It even includes ambulances and, uh, in a very messed up way, um, the targeting or seeming targeting, um,
3: journalists and their staff. Oh, well, um, they are. I mean, they've got a registry yeah. of where people live. It's not like exactly they're, right. they're accidentally targeting these homes where journalists live. They're yeah. actively trying to hide their atrocities, and it, thankfully, exactly. it's not working very well. As As well as them having cut
1: off any sort of communications, uh, whether satellite or via internet. And, of course, after cutting off electricity, they're hoping that people's phone batteries die so that right. they can't videotape things. They can't send out information or pictures or videos so that they can keep everything as covered up as they can be, which, of course, is uh, the natural progression of a highly Democratic um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, egalitarian <laughs> nation uh, based on the principles of you know civil liberties and all that kind of stuff the usual uh, bullshit that we hear.
2: I just want to add that they also uh, they bombed the blood bank today.
3: God, just
2: the the conditions that uh, doctors are working under in Gaza no. right now are honestly unfathomable. Honestly, not something that belongs in the twenty first century. Frankly. And uh, even about uh, the targeting of the journalists, I'm thinking a lot about wael Dahtouh, who is a Al-Jazeera correspondent. They murdered his family. They obviously, they knew where he lived. It was very intentional. And he he's even said, you know, that they're trying to like take revenge upon me, upon us for sharing these things by taking it out on our children, which is honestly, that's like a microcosm of everything that we're even seeing in in Gaza as they're taking it out on these children. And something else I want to add is because, uh, because of mentioning not being able to charge their phones, one of the founders of the peaceful Great March of Return that happened in 2018, as we that was brutally suppressed. Uh, it was Palestinians in Gaza at the time for about a year. They were peacefully walking to the the edges of this this concentration camp. Frankly. There was Dabka, there was dancing, there was kind of all these sort of things of just showing that we see that our homes are within walking distance on the other side of this fence and we want to go back. And what it was very brutally suppressed, there were lifelong disabilities from the sniper fire, from being shot. Fatalities. In, yeah, and, and of course, there were a couple hundred fatalities. One of the co-founders of this this march, who's also uh, part of an initiative uh, that I think is really important that people should look into, called "We Are Not Numbers," and it's uh, you know youth-led. It's uh, people in Gaza telling their their stories, you know, humanizing themselves in a world that is kind quite intent on dehumanizing them. This is all to say that this. Man, his children were going to the nearby school to charge their phones and his son and his nephew were uh, taking turns going to the school uh, to pick up the phone because they weren't able to charge it in the house. And on when his son had come back and they were on the same side of the house, their house was uh, airstruck. it was struck by a missile. And and he, he wakes up and he finds that his son was killed. And uh, it's just really, I think to me, another just like another microcosm of the fact that he did everything, you know, right, quote unquote, like he, he wanted he wanted peaceful resistance. Uh, he wanted to share these stories. He wanted to do all these things that we are just like repeatedly bludgeoned with as Palestinians to be doing and saying so that we could prove that we don't deserve to be killed in refugee camps. And it didn't work. He lost, his son was what, 12 years old? So it's, it's just something I'm really thinking about a lot lately.
0: Yeah, like, the thing is that people come, like, even sometimes when they're well-meaning, it's sometimes even worse when they're well-meaning, they're like, oh, Palestinians should do this, Palestinians should do yeah. that, Palestinians should do Gandhi. Like, I promise you, over the almost century that we've been going through this, we've tried everything. Mm. We have tried everything. We have done Gandhi on multiple occasions. Gandhi was shot or Gandhi was ignored because it's easy to ignore if you don't have you know an audience for Gandhi to play for it's it's pointless that's the whole point mm-hmm. of uh, you know non violent or non armed struggle yeah. It doesn't mm. work if nobody cares. Like, at right. the end mm. of the day, it's not about, oh, just appeal to the human side of the world. It's not about humanity. It's about interest. Mm. It's about imperialism. Mm-hmm. This is not something that's like you can... The ideological kind of
2: underpinnings.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's not something you can just, like, argue away. Like, oh, if the Israelis see that Palestinians are human, then they'll stop bombing them. No, their mm. lifestyle depends on Palestinians being oppressed. Their whole community, their whole society was built on top of 600 destroyed Palestinian villages in the 40s. You cannot convince people who've built their whole life here that, oh, if only, uh, you know, if we talk to them, like as if it's a problem of dialogue or communication, if we only talk to them in a certain way, they'd understand that their whole society is wrong and they'll just like make room or something. Like, it's not how it works.
2: And I think it feels just kind of uh, especially fucking egregious to me because maybe a little bit also because uh, I lived for several years in the US, most of my life in the US, it feels that... There are many Americans that I know who would not handle the the impression that a cashier was being rude to them and that would like infuriate them <laughs> yeah, and ruin yeah. their whole fucking week. These same people will get online and start arguing like, oh, you, th- you guys are exaggerating by saying why is this soldier pointing a gun, literally today, why is this uh, soldier pointing a gun at a four-year-old? His finger wasn't mm. on the trigger, like you guys are being really fucking sensitive, oh, I guess. God. And so it's like, we're supposed to argue with this. It's like these people would never, ever, ever. Handle even a fraction of what Palestinians have been asked to to handle over and over again. They would never accept like their home being demolished because one person in the family was accused of a crime by you know in the system of military courts and ninety seven percent conviction rates and it, as Fatih was saying before administrative detention. They would never end, okay now your your home is being demolished or you know as we saw from like the the second Intifada this kind of strategy of quite literally destroying through floors and walls of houses we're going to blast our way through six living rooms in a row to order to get our target and if there's people in the house we're going to stuff them in a room and not care if they have any food or medicine in there we're going to do all that and we're going to have all this impunity and uh, you're just supposed to deal with it so it just feels like a lot of this kind of criticism they just kind of really have accepted that this is okay to happen to those people over there and they would never accept it happening to themselves or their family or people uh, that they know in the Imperial Corps in the West.
1: Exactly right. I would uh, like to hear your guys' covering in general of why... The the why of why this is happening. Um, essentially, there is context that we're missing prior to October 7th of 2023 that, for, of course, the vast majority of media had conveniently forgotten up until it started becoming way too clear that, whoa, the set colonial entity is more than barbaric. There aren't even words to describe what they're doing. This is uh, egregious. This is a crime against humanity in the fullest sense of the term. You can barely describe it. Uh, and only now have we started to kind of see some pushback. Oh, no, but Palestinians are really human beings. Who would have thunk? Um, and, of course, some, like, I guess, lukewarm lip service to, as, to what, uh, as to what had occurred prior to, to October 7th. But could you please let us know, where did this begin? Why, why is this an issue in the first place?
0: Um, the... <laughs> we have all day. Don't worry. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, even, even, like, you don't have to go back that long even before October 7th. Until October 7th, 270 Palestinians were killed by Israel this year. Mm. In 10 months, half of them refugees, around a third of them were children. This isn't this is an, like a year in Palestine. This is the, the period of calm. Mm. You know, or the relative calm in the territories as it's always called. This is the normalized status quo for Palestinians. We're supposed to die by the hundreds every year, and we're not supposed to make a stink about it. And that's Mm -hmm. basically how it has been for the last 75 plus years. If we want to go back to context... I mean, obviously, you could talk about, you know, the birth of uh, blood and soil ethno-nationalism in Europe, which is basically where Zionism emerged in the late 1800s. But it, basically, it's difficult to understand anything unless you actually go back and look at the, the, the Zionist settlers themselves when they started arriving in Palestine. There, there's this this misconception of people saying, well, the Jews have always been in Palestine. But like, this is a misconception that these are not the same people. Right. When we're talking about this, these trips from, from from Europe, these these big migration waves from Europe, these settler migration waves sponsored by the British, you know, those lovers of freedom and humanity and altruism. These uh, groups came there and they also actually they looked down on the indigenous Palestinian Jews that were already there. They, they thought they were too multicultural. Ben-Gurion himself took him years before he even went to Jerusalem because it was too multicultural for his sense. He, pref- he, he preferred to stay in his majority Jewish uh, neighborhood in Yaffa once he arrived there. From the very beginning, the Zionist movement basically wanted to have Palestine for itself and there were any offers or uh, ways to integrate into the Palestinian society already there were rejected because, to quote Sushkin, we want to be the landlords of these lands. Sushkin was a, a high official of the Zionist movement at the time. But a bit more modern, uh, Gaza has been going through 18 years of siege right now, and the, the, the siege on them has been so incredibly inhumane that their calorie count is determined before food is sent in. I think the number was around 2,000 calories for males and uh, 1,700 for females. And they would not allow more food to go in than those calorie counts because they want to keep mm. people you know, alive, but also they don't want them to thrive. And Gaza has a right to thrive, Palestinians have a right to thrive, obviously. They are, every few years, they are murdered through what is called the mowing the lawn operations, which is basically to attempt to weaken Hamas, to maintain uh, stability in the area. And by mowing the lawn, they mean the murder of hundreds of Palestinians at the time. And uh, this time, uh, the lawn mowed them back, I guess.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, it's, they, they lived through absolutely horrible, horrible ways like everything is held hostage by israel uh, they can't even have control to their own you know water underneath their feet they don't have control over their skies they they can't even leave because egypt also uh, is uh, complicit with this system of siege on palestinians every few years they get bombed to smithereens they're not allowed to leave they're not allowed to do anything and uh, they they this is just like one year in the life of the people of gaza
2: and i want to add that the the massacres that took place in 1947 1948 when Zionism made its big push to establish this uh, for Jews' uh, ethnocracy, it resulted in hundreds of thousands of refugees, and many of them came to the Gaza Strip to the extent that today 70% of the population of Gaza are refugees and their descendants, who are, you know, of course, also refugees. Even across this area that we've mentioned before is incredibly small, incredibly dense, is eight refugee camps. And we've, we've shared a lot, or we've talked a little bit on the website, but we also kind of link to other things about more details of these massacres. They're really harrowing. They're very difficult. It's, it was incredibly bloody. It was uh, taken out in the name of this ideology that says, which again is because it came out of that tradition of Western European settler colonial thoughts and ideology, is that the closer you are to the white, civilizational sort of ideal the more you deserve to live and nobody else does nobody else has a worthwhile culture nobody else has worthwhile existences and this is what made that those massacres so bloody and so targeted and we know now how targeted it was we know about plan dalit again i always talk about this documentary called 1948 creation and catastrophe because it's really incredible it brings in historians and people who survived these massacres and even some of these militia members and they all talk together and it paints the very clear story of they wanted as much of Palestinian land with as few Palestinians left on it and this is the context that so it's they created these refugees and they put them in these camps and now they're bombing the camps and now they're like uh, and in addition to all the other years of of suffering of of even in the first and the second intifadas going from house to house and settler domination over the people and exploitation of uh, palestinian workers on top of all these other things it, you took someone's home you made them a refugee you wouldn't let them come back, even though they had every sort of like moral and legal right to come back. And now you are bombing and starving and blocking their access to telecommunications, so that they can even say that you're doing this. I think that's what just what makes it really egregious. It's just it's been repeated over and over. It's just a you can't even call it a trauma again, as so many Palestinians have been saying, is because it didn't end to have like a post kind of reflection mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the trauma and uh, why we see, you know, even before God knows how it is going to be now, but even before the the rates of people in Gaza who have thought about suicide are, are children who don't feel like life will ever be better and that'll ever be worth living because their their dreams are so... Limited their means of, of survival are so limited, and even you know looking at uh, what was revealed about Hamas, were or in the at least in the Qassam Brigade, where eighty five percent of those fighters were orphaned, or are orphans. Yeah. It's obviously not a natural phenomenon, and there's a reason why. Again, like the, why is the median age in Gaza eighteen? It's because it's very difficult to live to an old age under these conditions.
1: Uh, I think one one point to add also because. Um... Uh, I guess the point of this episode is the vast majority of people listening to this should be at least on some level familiar with with Palestine and and the the struggle ongoing there. But the details, there's there's so many details that are hard to to digest because there is so much information, all of it is so painful. Um, So that's just another barrier, but something that is very frequently missing from this conversation, Um, and you've seen this after October 7th, is every part of a Palestinian's life, whether they're in the West Bank or in Gaza or even in Israel proper, um, is controlled by the settler colonial entity they are at their whim and their mercy at every point this means that for example in gaza you want to build something you know, like an apartment or a home or whatever uh, or a power plant or a water purification plant if you're even allow- if if you even manage to get the materials in which by the way um the illegal settler colonial entity controls all uh, export and import from gaza if you even manage to get the things in uh, you need a permit from the the Israeli authorities in order to build. If you don't have the permit, then it is considered an illegal dwelling. And then as a result, it makes it legal for them. In their fucked up way of, of understanding this, uh, it makes it a legal target in whatever way. For example, they can use it as justification to strike it, or to in, in earlier periods this doesn't happen as much uh, anymore. But like fifteen more than fifteen years ago, uh, for them to physically um, enter into these spaces to go in and uh, in, in in like you know search operations. Oh, that we've heard that something illegal. Oh, there's a Hamas fighter here, uh, for example, or something else, a member of the resistance here, uh, and they use this as a uh, as a as an excuse to completely destroy whatever infrastructure that they have preventing any sort of development whatsoever beyond this point also um, just another thing to to, to really push forth the ethno-nationalist aspect for those unaware uh, within Jewish groupings um, there's really three major ones it's Ashkenazi which are usually European Jews meaning white Jews um, then you have the Sephardic Jews, which are usually of Latino, you can think about as Latino or Spanish origin. Some people also lump North African in, but uh, it depends on your definition. Then you have Mizrahi Jews, which are our, our quote-unquote Jews, meaning yani, the Jews of Iraq or the Jews of Palestine originally or wherever else uh, in our regions. And there is a very clear racial hierarchy within Israel uh, in which the white Jew is the one on top. In fact, at the very beginning, they had difficulty even accepting Jews of other backgrounds. And to this day, Ethiopian Jews, which are Jews, just like all the rest, are discriminated against to the point that they even doubt their Jewishness entirely, despite the fact that much more than the European Jews, these people can actually have some sort of heritage going back to the land. And when you begin to see the, the, the racialized aspect of this, you you know you, you kind of see the forest from the trees, to, to, to twist an American saying, <laughs> where you begin to realize that hey, this made up Zionist ideology, which was founded by people who didn't believe in God and didn't believe in Judaism and were and were highly anti-Semitic themselves, despite being Jews, Believing and telling others that there is a land without a people, and there are people without a land, and this book that they don't believe in, by God that they don't <laughs> believe in, has this particular land has been promised to them, and hence uh, they they deserve to 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 uh, migrate to the detriment, uh, or migrate to colonize to the detriment of whoever may be in this uh, in this area. So it's that you have this intersection of a illegal settler colonial nation based on a hyper racialized identifier nature particularly for white european Jews above all else reliant heavily on palestinian labor to keep anything running but also at the same time heavily reliant on the founding myth which is we need to clear the supposedly empty land of these palestinians based on uh, 1001 different justifications which are all either racist or anti-human and this is reproduced in all their uh, literature you see from from netanyahu all the way to the average store clerk um using language that you you wouldn't use to describe Animals, let alone human beings. Right. Um, but yeah,
0: The thing is that the, the original Zionist founders were much more honest about everything that they're doing. Because at the time, it wasn't this big of a taboo to be a colonialist. We're talking mm-hmm. about like the late 1800s. It was still like all the rage. And uh, when they actually talked to the British about first coming to Palestine, the British told them, there's 100,000 N-words and for those there are no uh, use. That's mm. the literal wow. quote. Mm. Uh, so they knew there were people there. It's just that they're not people that are worth anything. It's kind of like a new, you know, Terra Nullius or not really a new, it's, it's Terra Nullius basically that, yeah, there are people there, but not real people, not people who have, you know, a market economy or something, you know, like, cause whatever
3: messed up, uh, threshold that they use. So when did that change? Because obviously it's, it's kind of a... It's a bad look these days to admit that you're a colonial power, that you're colonializing another place that, that has a, a population that has always lived there. When did Israel or the, the occupation make the shift in rhetoric from, oh, you know, this is our, our God-given right to colonize to what they're doing today?
0: I think this mainly started you start to see this shift with the United Nations and talk about um, self-determination. self-determination and all this other, uh, you know, uh, kind of rhetoric and all the decolonization movements that really uh, reached their zenith after the Second World War. Mm. Uh, I think that's when we start to see some kind of uh, change in the rhetoric. But in the actions, I mean, uh, it was Israel still remained, you know, the most steadfast ally of apartheid South Africa. Uh, yeah. Until basically it's final days, so it's 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 that's the thing with Israel. Like whenever something happens, they say no. We just need better propaganda. We need better hasbara, mm. which is their propaganda, which, which means to explain. We just need to explain ourselves better, and it's like they have changed this explanation a hundred times in the last a hundred years
2: and now we get fucking tiktoking uh, soldiers oh, yeah. tiktok dance <laughs> yeah. soldiers and like the official twitter account of israel being like well that happened or like it's oh, like it's, it's, like like it's cringe sippid. though it's cringe it doesn't but like it's, it's
0: like it's not even good memes it's, hard it's hard cringe so. it's yeah. not
2: out of like an actual place of human connection i think there is even, right. there's, uh, not to get like too philosophical but there's even something to be said about out certain point, if your entire careers or not just careers, if your entire existence really, these people who are really pushing for Israel, who really support its existence as a state in spite or because of all the horrors they're doing to the Palestinians, at a certain point it really does make you less human. Because in order to look at Photos and videos of Palestinian children dying in Gaza, and to find an excuse like it has to honestly mm-hmm. just make you so detached from what it even is to be a person. And I think that's what really just strikes me is because uh, I'm I'm listening to what you're saying. It's obviously all like very true and a great summary. Like yes. Uh, there's this racial tearing and uh, they see you know being an Ashkenazi or being a European or resembling European people as like the the zenith of worthiness uh, it's they see they they want to be, I think like this first world kind of like comfortable resort mm-hmm. style country. Even just seeing the things about, oh, when we get rid of Gaza, we're going to have beachfront property and there's going to oh, be a yeah. Starbucks and there's going to be a Sephora and these kind of all things. I'm kind of grateful for when they say it. So yeah. simply like that because yeah. it just really brings to the forefront that Zionism as an ideology, it is anti-human. It hates humanity. It loves you know capitalist <laughs> <Consumership>. extraction. <laughs> yeah, it it yeah. loves death. It genuinely does. It love it, it loves death of these people who are seen as unworthy and that can all and that's also hit them too in some ways and i don't say it to to equivocate between palestinians and settlers in any way shape or form but i think it's very instructive to look at how uh, holocaust survivors were treated uh because they were seen as like you were weak and you didn't fight back and they see it as like a shameful thing to die and i think that's even part of why we're seeing this kind of discrepancy between how openly they're reporting their the numbers of their dead versus the Palestinian ministry of health in gaza which has names ages id numbers all these things is we haven't internalized this idea that it's a, a weakness that it's shameful to be killed like the shame is not on us for being killed the shame is on who's doing the killing but they don't have that idea because they're too wedded to the idea of appearing invincible it's kind of—it's really something, actually—to to die in service of such a of such a regime where your death is just kind of seen as something uh, embarrassing to be uh, brushed mm-hmm. under the rug.
0: And you see that also even from the families and the parents of the people who are like the Israelis who are killed—they're all like screaming at Netanyahu, like "and stop this war, ceasefire now!" And then you see that the, the Palestinians who have lost infinitely more, infinitely—there's no even no comparison. And they're all willing, standing there willing and saying, if this like, brings us one inch closer to liberation, then it, it's not in vain. There's, there's no spirit like that at all on the other side, because again, they want to frame themselves as a first world, you know, uh, developed uh, country, and it comes with all of the nonsense and bullshit that that entails. It comes with the selfishness and in individual uh, society.
1: In that is is the crux of the eventual victory of the Palestinian people, whether sooner or later. Um, because at the end of the day, when uh, in Iraq we say "tajja," when a tajja happens, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when uh, when you have a sort of um, any sort of attack, anything basically goes off, um, the Palestinians stay. Rooted to the soil, right? As if they're part of it. Uh, meanwhile, the airports of the set of colonial nation get filled to the brim with lines going outside of the buildings with people trying to escape to wherever they have their second passport and uh, dual citizenship. Um, this is nothing that you see the Palestinians, the Palestinians don't do this, right? Yeah. Uh, Palestinian is the only person who will stay in their home, no one's going to be bombed because they know it's better to die. On their earth, than to end up being uh, living a, a a disgraced life in the diaspora. Not, at, uh, of course, there's nothing wrong with being a diaspora-born uh, uh, or or living in uh, abroad or whatever else. But the fact that they're so um, attached to their land, uh, as opposed to these settlers, who, in the vast scheme of things, both historically as well as in reality, have come only last week to this land that they apparently uh, own and want to exterminate all the life out of. But much more importantly, about the point with the with the memes. My favorite thing is the, uh, they, 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 they <laughs> the, uh, IDF put up a picture of, uh, their the typical fucking thirst strapping nonsense, yeah. uh, where they have a, a, a young IDF soldier, a, a woman, uh, and it's like, oh, when you're being mean to me, this <laughs> yeah. is who you're being mean to, and she's like looking up at a camera, and I love all the edits, where it's just the, the red, triangle <laughs> oh, above yeah, her head. red triangle. Oh yeah, the red triangle. Oh my God, I love it.
2: Oh, it's, 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 there are two things that I saw from Palestinians, speaking to what you're saying. One is that a lot of Palestinians in Gaza in were kind of reposting, uh, Heaven is closer Heaven is closer than this Fatih keeps like Pointing at my head Towards the microphone Because I, I have a tendency To just like Look off into the distance As I'm talking about The <laughs> point, right, no point is Is that you know um, Heaven is closer Than the Sinai And I also saw That I, I keep thinking About this older man Who was like The Americans are sending Aircraft carriers And he was so And he was like I feel like I can Lift my head up so high I am so yeah. proud That These fucking like these evil powers these evil regimes that say that they speak for humanity when really they are the genuinely the biggest threat to humanity Mm -hmm. Uh, that they they see us as worthy of fighting to this extent like our he's like our resistance has given us some of this uh, pride like of course we're gonna be so happy when we see these these tanks being crumbled when you think about all the money and all the uh, the kind of the political support that went into making those tanks uh, a reality, and you see that uh, we're considered a break for it. It's why it's why said that this is a cause not just for the Palestinian people, but for all dispossessed, all the oppressed, all the marginalized. Is to see that this, in like their victory is not only not inevitable, but sure to to end. Uh, those those things have been also kind of circulating in my brain. Yeah. Yeah, but
0: one last comment about the settlers before you can ask their questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when they when when they strike us, they're Israeli. But when they get struck, suddenly they're French and Belgian and German and what have you. Mm. There's like the 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 number of paperwork to to issue their second passport has skyrocketed recently. And I think really that is a key point to keep in mind when we talk about a settler colony. This is what we mean.
1: Uh, I get this question, or we see this question a lot. Uh, where it's like oh if hypothetically um uh, hypothetically inshallah um a free palestine is uh, is is a uh, palestine will be liberated and then there will be founded a uh, multi ethnic and multi faith community based palestine with equal rights for all which is what is supposed to happen in any reasonable society if that were to happen people ask what will happen to the israelis uh not not to the jews specifically but israelis as as a national identifier and people don't seem to understand that what will happen to settlers here is what will happen to settlers anywhere else. They're going to leave on their own accord, or they're going to learn to become part of the society mm. and try to forego their, their strained sense of superiority over the indigenous population and assimilate as they're supposed to. The French in Algeria, what did they do? Right? Did they... they, they at, at some point, they were basically the majority of the population on coastal cities, or they got very close to it, right? Um, they had colonized Algeria for far longer than Palestine had been uh, colonized, and and the playbook is almost one to one. Also, uh, the massacres and, and and dispossession and and rape and uh, everything else, basically. Uh, and in the end, I remember I read uh, a a Twitter post um, from a Algerian lady uh, whose grandfather remembered. Uh, the, 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 the moment of liberation, essentially. And if you don't remember the the, the, the subtle politics of Algeria at the time, essentially, they were, the, this is what they did. The Algeria wanted to do this, where you had a society where, you know, everybody has equal rights, blah, blah, blah. They get They got rid of the rights for the settlers, the superior rights for the settlers. Everybody was equal. And a bunch of, essentially, terrorist groups formed by the settlers uh, tried to fight back, and the Algerians fought back. And then they realized that the, 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 the settlers, they realized that they're on the losing front and they need to get out. So when her grandfather finally went back into his apartment, the one that he was kicked out of, and now a French family had moved in and was living there, there when they had to leave in such haste that their breakfast was still warm on the table. Like that's the that's the level that we're saying. Nobody's calling for immediate and mass expulsion of settlers or anything like this. Should this uh, future happen, which I'm sure in my heart that it will eventually come to pass, but. The reality kind of imposes itself. Settlers only like a place because of their um, self-imposed superiority and their enslavement and dispossession of the indigenous population. The second their uh, their benefits run out, the second of all their uh, privileged status expires, then they're going to go back to usually wherever they came from mm. because then they can milk that you know victim bullshit back wherever they came from way better than trying to integrate into a society that they had historically exploited for decades, if not going on a century nearly at this point.
0: And that's why we see so many white South Africans converting to Judaism and yeah. moving to Israel. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's like if this was in a, some kind of fantasy novel, it would be too heavy handed.
3: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, to bring it back to the specifics of what's been going on the last month, what is exactly is israel doing differently with their current campaign and you know in comparison to their usual violence cuz you said you know a few hundred people a year are murdered but now you know 11,000 in the in the span of a month what exactly is going on here what does the escalation look like on the ground uh, I guess literally on the ground now, right? Mm-hmm. With the with the mm. incursions.
0: Like no matter what Israel do, does, it's it's thrashing that it's doing. It's this revenge it's doing. It's already lost because mm. the image of Israeli invincibility was absolutely demolished on that day. Yeah. Like everything you thought you knew about Israel, like in the security world, has been demolished. There's no, it does not exist. You cannot go to a back before to a world before October seventh anymore, and Israel realizes this. And a lot of their bombing, like, they they don't have that many actual targets. Like, every few years, like I said, they mow the lawn and they hit all the targets that they have. It wasn't that long ago that they hit their targets. There, What they're doing is absolutely revenge. They want to make the people pay. They want to make any kind of resistance so expensive in deaths and destruction that people will think twice or even three times before attempting it again. Again, yeah. ironically, this has been their logic for the last 10 times they mowed the lawn, but uh, it never seems to work because they never seem to understand that after 75 years, you can't crush an entire people like this. You can't mm. defeat an entire people fighting for liberation. So they're really being absolutely very much more you know, murderous with their atrocities this time, Uh, and I do believe it's mostly out of revenge. I do not think that they actually have any targets of Hamas that they know how to target. Every day we get more and more news articles about how they are surprised about new tunnel networks appearing out of nowhere. Uh, and it's it's obvious that Hamas has studied this and it t- took all this into consideration. It's like not some kind of crazy adventure. Yeah. I
2: think it's just uh, something that stood out in Nasrallah's last speech to me is he basically was like, Israel said that their goal is to get is to eradicate Hamas. And they will, he's like, what kind of lunatic sets some sort of like impossible goal for himself is they already kind of binded themselves. But I think they had to do so because they really showed their hand like in order for them to, to justify what they're doing, they're saying that Hamas is just like... ISIS, uh, Qaeda, the worst thing ever, uh, 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 a threat All to the Jews buzzwords. everywhere, yeah, San yeah. Diego Border Patrol, watch out, I I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're not busy a little bit uh, to go to fucking San Diego. Uh, they're doing but- They have a nice zoo. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> but they had to do this because they needed to extract this much uh, revenge and they have this, right. and, and it's why they're also very kind of like- there's this feral opposition to any idea of a ceasefire. Why I just kind of joke of a humanitarian pause that we saw, like what's, what's four hours, is it
0: four hours in the book yeah,
2: every day? Yeah. What's four hours when you've already destroyed all the roads and no, and there aren't, and you got rid of all the bakeries, you bombed bakeries and you bombed all these other things. Like four hours is not, it's just the way to, kind of distract from the the goal of of the ceasefire so that's why they're they're targeting people in such a way they're not accomplishing like Fati was saying they're not accomplishing anything that they said they wanted to accomplish they're downplaying their dead but the the resistance in Gaza is playing it really smart with these videos that are coming out that are showing they're like no there's no way that their numbers are are correct because look at look at what we've been able to accomplish it's frankly it's their years of trained fighters who have had to fight for their lives in the most adverse circumstances imaginable versus these kind of like coddled reservists who just used to come in for a little bit and then continue uh, with their university uh, scholarships and uh, live these kind of coddled lives. The The contrast couldn't be more more stark. I think what they would like, I think they, and what they're trying to do is, I think the theory that they're trying to turn the north of, of Gaza into this like, a buffer zone i think they are trying to do mm. that we'll see how long they can hold on to that uh i think the pa quizzling proxy trader fucks that they are i think they really they really got excited because they see this as an opportunity for the gaza strip to come back under pa authority uh under you know their control and their benefit which i think for most, uh, most Palestinians not only don't see us happening, would not actually uh, support. And uh, they, these, these are kind of what it is. And I think, uh, honestly, uh, the parallel before I kind of mentioned about how they see their dead and how they see uh, being killed as a shameful thing, even though they have no issue using this as propaganda uh, outside, right? They have no issue going into when there is an anti-Semitic crime or like the, the synagogue shooting or something like this and saying, no, you'll only be safe in Israel. But it's because they see it as they see being a Jewish person in the diaspora as like in and of itself a shame. Uh, mm. And you're, you know, you're letting yourself be weak. Like, let us be one of the strong and kind of these other, like, frankly, yeah, fascist, uh, fasci- yeah, exactly, yeah. very fascist, uh, very blatantly fascist ideas. So they think that Palestinians will turn on the resistance because of the number of dead. When really, it just shows to us how fragile uh, our lives were before. At least that's definitely my reaction. I'm not alone in this, even in the West Bank, where I feel okay. Uh, at any point. Uh, they can shut down the roads and the checkpoints and uh, every single night we hear somebody uh, that we know has gotten arrested or somebody's family member has been killed or some of these other things that happen we know that our lives were you know as as was pointed out by by you as well uh, that it's at their whim so if anything it shows us that that it's worth fighting against because we have an enemy that is willing to go to these lengths. So I think it really is just happening, having an opposite effect where they were hoping that uh, Pal- as if Palestinians are going to buy into the human shield nonsense of like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, well, Hamas is hiding behind us, it's like no, they're not hiding behind anything. You're you're murdering people in <laughs> apartment bombing
1: blocks. indiscriminately. You're okay. bombing.
2: Yeah, even though by your own admission, don't they have a metro? Aren't they underground? Like, what does bombing this apartment <laughs> building? Account- or <laughs> somebody pointed this. I know it's like dark, but it did make me laugh somebody was like oh you know uh, i'm a hamas guy and i'm hiding in the tunnels but sometimes and i have these tunnels that are just you know all the hundreds of kilometers but sometimes i like to ride an ambulance with the siren blaring just for fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh god
3: exactly. just right.
2: to switch things up a bit yeah it's yeah. illogical yeah it's and but,
0: but the thing is also uh, we need to understand about the ground invasion or the ground incursion the limited ground incursion the troops who had been training for years to be able to do such kinds of operations were wiped out on october seventh now the 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 reservists and the soldiers are coming from the West Bank the West Bank they're settlement guards like they're not actual yeah. combat ready like their whole their whole like experience they're is combat ready around, against yeah bossing around <laughs> Palestinians. eighty old
1: ladies yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: yeah and like yeah. and harassing people in in villages and such like that's what they do they arrest people. Wow, okay, well, good luck in the metro. So like so they it's very difficult for them to actually make any progress inside of Gaza on the ground invasion that's why they are so reliant on their air force I mean a monkey can bomb you know a residential building it doesn't mean that you're an elite army but actually going yeah. in and getting any objective done that's what we'll see and I they won't be able to do any of that we, we saw like Footage, because of course Israel is going to deny this. But we're talking about dozens of Merkava four tanks, which are supposedly yeah, yeah. the most advanced tank in the world, and it's made specifically for anti-insurgents. They're running out of them so much that they're going to bring back some of the old Merkava three tanks that were supposed to be decommissioned wow. this year. So, like That's their amazing. propaganda is dumb, but the thing is, their propaganda works on their people because there is only one country in the world that produces Hebrew media. There is nowhere they can go to get more information in Hebrew. Everything there is there. By the way, everything in the Israeli media has to be approved by the army for, for security purposes. So everything they're getting is like this curated uh, propaganda. And if they don't go look for English uh, sources outside of Fox, obviously, they're not going to be uh, challenged on their worldview. So this is why a lot of Israelis actually find when they leave Israel for the first time, for example, and their first shown these different points of view on things this is why this bunker mentality makes them think oh no the whole world is out to kill me not that there's yeah. actually like a different uh, point of view or what's going on yeah driving
2: off their fear i just want to add two last things one is because as, as we're talking about this uh, as we're talking about the kind of failures of uh, their military to to achieve any actual military objective or to really Uh, undermine the resistance in any way as we've seen after nearly or over a month of fighting is it's always amusing to me to hear about like well doesn't israel have the right to defend itself it's like you were given the chance here was your chance defend yourself against Mm. this guy who in his adidas pants who's literally Mm. dressed like the way that you would dress to help your mom come bring the groceries in from like to the house Uh, and you couldn't take it you couldn't like handle the heat so it's just very odd like what You know, you had the opportunity. And I think the other thing is something to really realize about why they're panicking and and also with this kind of invincibility, you know, fractured sense of invincibility, is that how much their economy depended on this. Their economy is supposed to be, you know, a military economy. They really sell the idea. Uh, to Europe, or let's say more specifically, like the UK, the US, and all these kind of other powers, and these conferences around the world about, look at us, we are such experts in urban warfare, uh, we've really turned this into an art, like, really good at killing Arabs, buy our shit, um, and let's continue doing this. these partnerships with your police forces and uh, your uh, military and if you can't do what you said you're going to do, if you couldn't even see this coming in the first place, that, you know, oh, great tech startup nation, then what? Mm-hmm. The, what is even your use? So I think that's also why their their economy has been taking a huge hit. And in addition to the fact that a lot of the people who were working are uh, now, you know, were called in to be uh, reserve soldiers, again, kind of this idea that Israel is just...
1: Who don't know how to use their guns. Mm. <laughs>
2: See, somebody, I really want, I'm very curious about this. I need someone to compare the incidents of friendly fire here to, like, other countries. It's just, it really is absurd. No,
0: it's, we saw the same thing in Iraq. We saw the same thing yeah. in Iraq. Like, the U.S. army every day was, like, every time they get a chopper shot down, it's like, oh, no, technical difficulties, friendly fire.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I've seen things. <laughs> <laughs> it was not friendly fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was hostile uh, fire, yeah. some
0: might say. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> anyways, um, let's let's move a bit away from, from Gaza. Uh, Although all that you said was incredibly valuable, and I thank you for it. But uh, let's think of the Palestinians who live within the quote unquote Israel proper borders. These people live a very different life um, than the rest of Palestinians, but also uh, experience a unique form of uh, legalized discrimination, uh, which of course takes the form of what many have deemed uh, apartheid laws. It is an apartheid nation. Could you please go into just, in, in what way is Israel an apartheid nation? Where, where, what is the difference between how people are treated in, in the West Bank, for example, uh, and uh, Israeli citizen Palestinians?
0: The thing is that the Palestinians really are dissected into four big communities or four big uh, areas of concentration. We have the Gaza Strip, we have the West Bank, we have East Jerusalem, which is technically part of the West Bank, but Israel annexed it, so it doesn't really think of it that way. And then we have 1948 Palestine, which was the Palestine that fell in 1948, which is today most people recognize as, you know, the Israeli state. Inside of the Green Line in 1948, there is this little trick that they play. They say that every citizen is equal, and that's true. But the difference lies in that in Israel, there's a distinction between a citizen and a national. So you could be an Israeli citizen, but an Arab national, like a Muslim Arab national, or you could be a Jewish national, you could be a Druze national. And a lot of your rights come from your nationality, not from your citizenship. So this is one of ways that they say that every citizens are equal because they're leaving out the rest of the story. So for example, uh, Adala has a list of, uh, there's an organization called Adala, uh, a Palestinian organization within the Green Line, and they have a list of discriminatory laws that discriminate based on your ethnicity. And as a Palestinian, you have a lot of things that are cut off of, actually, as a matter of fact, if you are Palestinian, or rather, if you're non-Jewish, let's say inside Israel, Uh, approximately 85% of all land is off-limits for you to purchase or lease because it's under the control of organizations such as the uh, Jewish National Fund, which in its mandate basically says that we are here just for the progress of the Jewish people and nothing else. And so it's completely okay for them to discriminate against supposedly equal citizens. The state is its an obvious ethnocracy. It's a state that is built to privilege only one ethnic group. And if you're not of that correct ethnic group, then too bad. Uh, There's there's just a huge discrimination when it comes to funding, resources. There's been a single Palestinian, like even though Palestinians inside the Green Line are 20% of the population, there hasn't been a single expansion of Palestinian, like there's no no Palestinian new village in this last 100 years or so, but there's been dozens of Jewish uh, ones. And by the way, if you go to any of these settlements, they are legally allowed to tell you, go away, you are not Jewish because they have also another trick to play, which is they put the control of admissions into the hands of these councils who are made of the community. And they say, oh, for cultural reasons, you're rejected. But for most of that, in practice, this means that if you're not Jewish, you're not allowed into any of these areas. So like even these uh, these cities, there's very few mixed cities inside of uh, 48 it's a very different kind of discrimination, it's a different kind of control of Palestinians, it's more legal, it's more systemic, it's more you know, bureaucratic, but it is a form of control nonetheless. And apartheid, I'd like to mention, is just like one of the tools in the hand of the Israeli regime. I mean, apartheid by itself is not enough to describe everything Israel is doing, but I would like to argue yeah. that apartheid as a crime is one of the tools that it does rather than as a descriptor for Israel as a state.
2: Uh, I would want to just add that uh, Adela, A-D-A-L-A-H, uh, based in Haifa, they've done a lot of really good work kind of exposing uh, this de facto and de uh, discrimination. I also, I don't know uh, if when you post like links and things if you can put a map because i just saw this map uh or i saw this map the other day and i think it was really clarifying because it showed where palestinians are allowed to live from the river to the sea and which so it's not just in the west bank it's you are kind of stuffed into these enclaves and it's quite it's it's very segregated uh by design I want to add the uh, you know in on top of this uh, you know legal and political basis that Fathi is always so great at explaining. As what we're seeing recently is this really horrible uh, suppression, uh, even controlling social media consumption. The it's become a new law that you can be punished for watching pro resistance or you know obviously mm. pretty much any pro Palestinian content. Being a passive watcher, like how many seconds you spent watching this video. could be used to to uh, put you in prison uh, for a decent amount of time Uh, we've seen it's basically voice after voice any Palestinian in 48 who was at all prominent has basically been put in jail at this point so many names so many people that we know uh, or we're used to seeing uh, things that they would write and talk about and it's it's this uh, environment of fear it's this environment of coercion but it, it also just shows that, you know, despite everything, those Palestinians saw themselves as one with Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza and in refugee camps uh, in Lebanon, which is, of course, it's one, it's one of the, the many contradictions of Israel, really, where they want to keep them around, look at them. They have citizenship. We're not just Jews. How can we be racist uh, if we have these Palestinians, you know, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, while at the same time, not because of its existence as a state that's supposed to be by and for Jews and supposed to prioritize the Jewish religion and the, and being a Jew it makes you more worthy of space and safety and all these other things compared to non-Jews anywhere. They can't actually enfranchise them in any meaningful way. So they just have to keep of dealing with that contradiction and i don't think it'll be to their benefit or to the benefit of the continuation of the state
0: yeah another example is uh in east jerusalem or the eastern part of jerusalem See, jerusalem was western jerusalem was occupied in 48 and the eastern part was occupied in 67 so that's why there's this split because it becomes in the middle of this like green line dispute but israel annexed it illegally uh, in the 80s so uh, they kind of claimed the whole city for themselves now as their you know quote-unquote eternal capital but um, there, is a, there was this uh, governmental committee called the Gaffney Committee, and uh, this was in the 70s, and they came out with uh, this recommendation that the demographics of the city must remain 70% Jewish at least. 72% Jewish. So everything that Israel has been doing the last decades, like by simply not granting you a permit to construct a new home, so you're forced to move out of Jerusalem uh, for, as if you're a Palestinian. But if you're a Jewish, you get to build as many homes as you want. They actually build whole settlements in Jerusalem nowadays. East Jerusalem is dotted with uh, tens of thousands of settlers. So it's, it's this kind of like stark and naked Colonialism and this ethno-nationalist this logic, and people say, like, when people ask you, uh, well, uh, Israel must maintain a Jewish majority, this is the cost. Like, why must it maintain a Jewish majority? Like, because if it doesn't maintain a Jewish majority, it'll become a totalitarian, you know, hellhole, which is already is for non-Jews there. But uh, if 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 the if the majority becomes non-Jewish, then it becomes a minority rule government, like we saw in Rhodesia, for example. Uh, so it's it's this kind of these kinds of rules and regulations that are are in place that keep the demographics. And Israel as a state is very demographically obsessed. Everything it does is ruled by demographics, and to maintain a Jewish majority, even if you look at um, nonsense like the two-state solution, you'll see it's engineered from the ground up to alleviate uh, demographic. Uh, anxieties and nothing else for the israelis so uh, that that's a different topic
1: no but it's true from their very founding you see it in their in their in their literature and their in their private uh, uh, letters and their diaries there's a disgusting obsession with with fertility rates and percentage breakdowns in cities and the way the settlements are supposed to be built in a way where they in encircle essentially palestinian communities it's very disgusting, but also very um, clear-faced. Uh, they're they're not lying to you about their intentions. In fact, they are surprisingly clear in their intentions to the point of almost satire. Right? You can't you can't look at the things that they're trying to do, the things that they tell you, uh, but not like exactly the stuff that they want to tell you without being like, why are you being so casual about this? Like the international, the quote unquote, international community, um, they can see what you're saying. Aren't you afraid that there would be any sort of uh, retaliation or some limitations on you because of how over the boundary honest you're being? But then of course you realize that uh, the so-called international community, which always excludes the global South, by the way, um, seems to be completely, if not wholeheartedly with the Seth Colonia uh, project, then at least uh, in uh, in all the centers Uh, that matter aside from lip service which is uh, uh, always disappointing. Uh, but uh, the one point that you made about the Adal, um, Adal um, organization, they also had a very nice write-up where they basically detail uh, at least some of the uh, several dozen laws that apply um, only for Palestinians but not for, for uh, Israelis, even like as a citizen within Israel proper, quote-unquote Israel proper, which is ridiculous to think about in any other way. But hey, you know what? A settler is as a settler does, so... <laughs>
0: And you have people like fighting you for this. They're like, they, like they, they, they want you to just, to just like accept this as normal. And if you exactly. complain about it, you're anti-Semitic.
1: Exactly right. Which is of course the the biggest lie of the century at this point. Um, the most anti-Semitic, or arguably a significant contributor to anti-Semitism, is the Zionist regime itself. Uh, with how they treat their practicing Jewish observance basically within their borders and outside of it, how they treat people who are Jews who are for Palestine or for Palestinian liberation, or even people who are critical of the Israeli government. They don't even have to be pro-Palestinian. The way the vitriol, the, the, the venom, the disgusting attitudes that they have towards them to the point of like almost excommunication from their uh, you know racial cult it's as unpleasant as it is unsurprising
0: and it's not to mention all the alliances with the far-right and fascist groups of the world i mean the biggest zionist voting bloc in the united states are christian zionists and all of these are evangelist evangelist like nut jobs who want to see the jews die on the mm. day of judgment yeah. so it's not exactly like they're you know
1: <laughs> best friends huh? their
0: support for israel is coming from a good place mm. you know like uh, these are the biggest support base for Israel. Yeah, And there there's more evangelical Zionists in the world than there are actually Jewish people in yeah. the world.
1: Exactly right. The, the irony isn't lost on anybody who, who reads this information, but somehow, alhamdulillah, now the, the tide is changing because people are actually getting this info thanks to sources like you guys. But prior to the beginning of this decade, really, people didn't know this stuff. People didn't even know that there was... Uh, that there was a basis for the conflict between Palestinians they always would rely on the old tropes of oh they're just terrorists they just don't like Jews right? Uh, They're just anti-Semitic, right? Despite the fact that they are Semites themselves, speaking Arabic, having been in the indigenous to the land for generations, if not uh, over a thousand years at this point, if not also, furthermore, being embedded to the the land to such a point that genetic testing has revealed that these people are uh, basically uh, admixtures of all the populations that have passed through Palestine, going back over 2,000 years, uh, compared to proper Israel, uh, so-called Israel, where you're not even allowed to do a DNA test because they know that <laughs> the answer is going to come back Russia and Poland and UK and North America. Uh, it's very it's very disappointing to see the the, the ignorance on these points.
2: I just want to say, b- before it was kind of impressive to me that Fethi was able to keep talking the way he was because Baskotte was actually fucking up his foot. I was trying to like...
1: Mm. <laughs> it's all right. Critical- I was okay. literally... My sock,
2: my
0: sock, mm-hmm. not my foot.
2: No, <laughs> no, she was chewing. I-, I had to like literally drag mm. her off.
1: Cri- critical support <laughs> but, for for the scooter. She did nothing wrong. Um, <laughs> she did nothing
2: wrong. She does everything wrong all the time. But it is, it really is nice to see uh, the difference in support. To feel like there were so many things. Um, I don't know that I definitely wasn't or pushed back against trying to say or do a uh, younger that is now treated as uh, not only, you know, an option, but something that needs to be pushed for. Like, I know people are kind of arguing a little bit about BDS, about like, oh, the big list or the small list and keep it focused, all this stuff. But definitely when, when I was younger, this it was... It was taboo. Yeah. Yeah. It was considered like, oh, wow, you want to like do like the Germans did and boycott Jewish goods and do all this and uh and, or what does this even have to do? Like the poor homeless maker, or even if we talk about the academic boycott, like, oh, these are like peaceful institutions mm. uh, compared to the government or compared to the army. And only now does it feel like there's so much more space to show, you know, uh, academic uh, institutions in Israel are absolutely complicit. Yeah, like that's sure. where their soldiers go to learn uh, a lot of the things that they end up using against us. And uh, even like Tel Aviv uh, University had, uh, I believe it was Tel Aviv University that. They were basically uh, taking organs and skin from uh, the, the Palestinian bodies that they... Uh,
0: yeah, there was there's that one famous story. You know, the star. bodies
2: that they won't give back. Mm.
0: Yeah, that, that, that was actually... It was so bad that even the Israeli government had to admit that that was the case. And there's a big... Uh, there are lots of articles about it. Because when you say stuff like this, it sounds like crazy ravings, mm. you know? Like, oh, what do you mean they took, you know, corneas?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Like. Or their skin banked.
0: Or whatever, like it just sounds so like ridiculously over the top, top like blood libel almost. Until you actually like go and look at this story, and it's real to the point where the Israeli government had to acknowledge it. the, the Swedish government actually asked them about, it. it's like, yo, what's up with this? Mm. Like it was that bad.
2: I think also just it felt like I was always arguing about one state versus two state. And while I think it's still important to kind of teach people to understand all these decades of, of negotiations that have been happening and how we ended up with Oslo and the PA as we see it today and all that, it feels a little bit like the resistance gave us this chance to have, like expand our imagination mm. beyond these confines because yeah. that's what we've been doing. We've had the, the state minus... Uh, you know, the whole Oslo project of trying to like carve out little bits of economic stability, or in some uh, people's cases, just like immense uh, profit, instead of these kind of... Uh, actual rights and self-determination and and liberate and true liberation all these things and it feels like we saw that it was like we could actually envision people being allowed to go back home and not having to settle for being told that there's some expiration date on the right of return for example or all these other things that we've been told except because that's pragmatic and that's how you get people on your side and the, an international community like if, if they just really exposed how much uh, international law doesn't matter when Israel breaks it or when the, uh, or when the US breaks it for that matter uh, and it was like, it's obviously, it's not like he's the only person who's pointed this out. But Abu Abidah was saying that, like, yes, it's it's showing that they, it's an enemy immune from any accountability in, in this world. It's the law of the jungle, where if if you can so clearly on camera uh, be using white phosphorus and uh, saying that you're actually treating it like it's feasible for over a million people to evacuate.
1: They just send them to Canada. <laughs> Two million just to be sent the, to Canada. Uh, oh, my
2: God. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> No, no, it's just it's fucking. It's actually it's interesting because you even see CC uh, being a little, or no, I don't know if it was CC, but someone from the Egyptian government trying to warn them, like, hey, you know, it's gonna be more refugees to Europe. Is yeah. it sure that like y'all have kind of sent out the signal that you don't want more of them? Yeah. Uh, they're trying to push back against those other uh, sort of plans to to push uh, Palestinians out. But you can do all this, and you can do this collective punishment and. Uh, and you could really be testing out, frankly, treating the entire population of Gaza as like a as lab rats. Yeah, from uh, military, for these yeah. for these new yeah yeah for these new and terrible weapons. If you can do all that and not even be held accountable in any way, not be given a slap on the wrist. In fact, be told that anything short of enthusiastic support is you being a bigot, or is you uh, you know not, or is you aligning yourself with the terrorists, whatever quote unquote. Uh, of course they're going to continue to be able to do this it's only it's not been through international you know legal institutions and mechanisms that has restrained israel in the past it's been people in the streets it's been popular support turning against them it's been you know these other things that we are doing more effectively than ever i think about turning them into a pariah state
1: mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, I want to just build up on one point that you guys mentioned earlier, which was the skin bank thing. Uh, of course, it should be unsurprising that the illegal central colonial entity has the, essentially the largest skin, skin bank on Earth. That's because Israel has the, uh, one of the highest levels of skin cancer on Earth. Um, amongst any population. Me- meanwhile, the Israeli uh, "quote unquote" Israeli Arabs "quote unquote" because that's the only ones that they have. Um, re- uh, that they, that they have documented research on, but generally they mean the Palestinians uh, have an incredibly low incidence. Now, I, I, this really has me scratching my head. Why would an indigenous <laughs> population have such a high? <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> mm. But aside from that <laughs> point, um, uh,
2: sunshine's more than in Poland. And,
1: exactly uh, right. Yeah, high. but do you well, know my
2: sunlight's anti-Semitic.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, Yeah. Exactly. The sun's anti-Semitic. That's why. But no, no. My, my favorite, my favorite part about this is the they. I think they were for many years they were the number two spot for highest skin care, skin cancer rate. Of course, because you know they're indigenous to the land, uh, their skin just isn't used to it. I guess. Um, but the number one is Australia, another settler colonial country where <laughs> <Of> <laughs> the course. indigenous people have been you know completely marginalized. Now we've seen that generally with the mass protests and demonstrations globally in favor of Palestinian liberation and ceasefires and humanitarian aid to a mind-boggling level the amount of grassroots support Palestine has had historically but specifically in this moment it is overwhelming compared to absolutely zero organic support for Israel on grassroots level. It's almost always at institutional and government levels. Regular people are either indifferent or actually dislike the concept of Israel or are more sympathetic to Palestinians. Of course, this differs based on age groups, but the best example of this is, for example, Palestinian demonstrations regularly draw tens, if not hundreds of thousands in some country, even millions of people Mm -hmm. into uh, demonstrations. Meanwhile, within the US, which is incredibly sympathetic to the colonial entity, quote unquote pro-Israeli demonstrations have to pay students $250 Two hundred fifty dollars yeah, a pop yeah, to come and show up for quote unquote support for for Israel, so internationally Israel is losing support, particularly in the global south. many people have pulled back their um m- many nations have uh, recalled ambassadors or severed ties even uh and very uh, those countries are blessed and will be on the, are definitely on the right side of history for doing the right thing in the region as well. the set of colonial entity Israel is not popular, but if it's so unpopular in the region and it has increasing uh, lack of popularity around the world, how does it continue to exist? What is the, where is the space of support?
0: Well, the base of support is that it's a base for
1: imperialism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there we go. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> <Go on. laughs>
0: no, like, see, like this is this is also part of like the whole national mythology of Israel about oh, well, the world felt so bad after the Holocaust. You know, France was murder- genociding Algerians and uh, people in Vietnam. Oh, they felt so bad, and they were like, you know what? Let's let's uh, support the Jewish people and indigenous people. You know, same with the United States. It's it, it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. It's it's an outpost for imperialism in the Middle East because, for example, before the Iranian Revolution, uh, Iran used to be USA's biggest ally in the region. And the Shah was like really friendly and they had all these ties and everything was, you know, dandy for them. But the people were always hostile because this Shah was unrepresentative of the people, obviously. So the first instant of a revolution happening, what happened? The people came into power and they cut off all ties with Israel. With Israel, this is not possible.
3: Mm. This is not
0: possible because also the Israeli public are settlers and they are also pro-America and pro-Israel in all these different ways. So even if the government in Israel changes, it remains safe. It remains, it's going to remain an imperialist outpost no matter what happens. So... I, I didn't Biden say that if there was no Israel would have to invent it and some other, I don't know why, who was he said it's it's basically an aircraft carrier in the mm, region. Yeah. Uh, he said it the other way. Unsinkable aircraft carrier,
1: exactly right, is what hmm. he said.
0: Yeah, unsinkable aircraft carrier. So, like, people need to actually, like, not think about these things from... Uh, historical rights or morals or altruism or all that. It's all about interests, interests of countries, and that's what determines everything. I mean, South Africa, apartheid South Africa, as horrible as it was, was only discarded after the fall of the Soviet Union. Why? Because they felt like they were safe now to let the regime fall, which was their one of their major allies in fighting communism in Africa. Mm. So it's all about the, like it has nothing to do with what popularity, what's right, what's wrong. As long as Israel remains, uh, you know, a profitable investment in, in terms of interests and you know political goals, and the, they will be supported no matter what it is. Yeah, I mean, the United States is now also in alignment with uh, with countries like Saudi Arabia that that Americans love to talk about, like about like you know cutting up uh, journalists and such. Saudi Arabia is incredibly unpopular in the West, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's about interests
2: yeah absolutely and i think we're just really seeing um the base of the support is you know just western hegemonic uh, powers and as we i think we're or a lot of people i would say think we're moving towards this multipolar world or at least like you know china and russia can maybe get their are increasing in power and can maybe get their chance uh and we're seeing that it's not feasible for the uh, for the u.s to have its hand oh how what's the phrase like it's hand uh, as many pots yeah. Some shit like that. Yeah. Point, uh, yeah. Uh, it it can't do that. We're even seeing this with the the kind of slow cutting off of uh, support to Ukraine because that was taking too long mm-hmm. and is too is too expensive. It's not because uh, they cared about Ukrainian uh, civilians or anything like that, but it was because they wanted uh, this counter to Russia. So I think that's that's kind of what we're seeing in real time is as that hegemonic uh, power gets threatened and crumbles more. Uh, Israel won't be able to continue. We saw that they can't handle uh, a month of guerrilla fighting without having, you know, the the backup sent in and trying to fix the, you know, send us more missiles for the Iron Dome and we need more Iron Dome funding and all that. Once that's cut off, once the the U.S. Uh, stops having this power over the world uh, militarily and politically and all that, uh, it doesn't have a, a real future
1: beautifully said it's the i think we're reaching a point uh where we have a uh, not to get you know mouse terminology but i think there that we've hit the 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 strategic stalemate uh at this rate where before for the past 75 years Palestine has always been on the back foot um for a variety of reasons, but the vast majority of which is exactly like you said, the overwhelming and undying support of the US for the Southern Colonial Project. Um, but now finally we've reached a point, I think, uh, mostly geopolitically, but as well as in the you know media propaganda fight, where... Uh, Israel is becoming a pariah state it is uh, slowly losing friends uh, abroad in the international community Um, it's getting more uh, let's say uh, like you stand out more if you're to be a staunch supporter of Israel like you uh, were compared to like 15 or 20 years ago I mean Um, and it's gonna take some time still. Uh, to to reach a a proper point of liberation or some you know qualitative shift in this process but uh, it took again over a century for Algeria it took many many decades in South Africa and of course armed struggle was always uh, in some part related. Palestine, I don't think, will be any different, really, in this sense.
2: Oh, wait, can I can I rant about something very quickly? Go open? right because ahead. I had forgotten to do that. <laughs> yeah, right because ahead. you were saying about, because when you were talking about the difference in people sort of organically coming out to support Palestine and all these numbers and people wanting to learn more and people feeling like, clearly, uh, this is an oppressed people or these are people who are, uh, I guess, the underdogs, if you want to simplify it more than that, uh, compared to these, like, very white, older sort of, Again, inorganic uh, protests. It's just ask what the fuck they think they're protesting. Like it's it's not enough. That the, the U.S. government is completely on their side and is giving them all the support and all these institutions are threatening, as they always have, but to now with the, to a fever pitch, uh, their fellow Palestinian uh, students and censoring them. And you're getting all this funding and you're getting all this. It's like they're really out here, like, but we want to be liked, too. Like, what are you even, like? How fucking dare you? It's really uh, it's it's really grotesque, actually. Uh, this game, and right? Yeah, and I want to say I I wish I remembered his name, but I saw this and I it really like it really uh, just spoke to me was when this man he went up to this protest that was kind of under the banner of bring them home about the Israeli hostages as if it's any of our fucking fault that their own the uh, government won't stop bombing them along with the other Palestinians there in Gaza, bring them home and he went and he's like I have a new chant idea he's like kill more Palestinian yeah, 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 children. I oh that was because like that's what they're calling for that's what they want it's like they're out there to just try to show that and it but it's again dishonest like we can go out there we can say we want a free palestine we want all this and they have to kind of cower behind this self-victimizing like weepy bullshit all 12 of them and it needs yeah. to be treated with <laughs> a, as much contempt all 12 of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it needs to be treated with contempt, which is already happening. Thankfully, nobody was waiting for me to say it needs to be treated co- with contempt, but it needs to be treated with contempt.
1: Mm-mm. No, no, you're completely right. Um, I think the best, uh, I guess, response to this point is uh, rather than treating it with contempt, which I agree, I agree with you on this point. I think you should just be uh, more uh, sad at the fact that there's so there's so little heart in those supposed pro-Israeli demonstrations uh when you look at them, they are like they're drained in the face. They they're not even standing up straight. Their chants are boring, right? They're is <laughs> genuine it, it feels as astroturf. not astroturf, that's not the right word I want to use, but it feels as artificial as can be. They they mm-hmm. don't even seem like they're trying, which is like most Israeli propaganda. Like for example, they they're trying to be like, oh look our army uh our illegal genocidal colonial army is so inclusive because we have supposedly a uh, a Muslim with us Uh, indicating that they're Arab is is the assumption Um, but uh, the first picture that they put up was uh, they photoshopped a Sajjad in front of him um, like a a prayer mat in front of him and the second propaganda (laughs) shot they had a guy who's supposed to be praying but he's not even like he's not. None of his. First of all, they're both facing the same direction. Muslims and Jews do not face the same direction yeah. <laughs> when, still when they still got his pray. shoes on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy he had like his, ruined
2: the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he had his sunglasses
1: on. He was sitting wrong. I remember another one where they're trying to show a Muslim praying, supposedly also IDF soldier, but he was doing like the Buddhist, like two hands together, oh. <laughs> as if he's about to bow, like a like an Eastern, you know, uh, mystic or something. <laughs> I, I, I don't like. Not only do you colonize these people, who, by the way, you hear the adhan. All around you, the the Islamic call to, to pray all all throughout your cities. I at least I hope, um, if not in your brightest days, then in your darkest hours. Um, but uh, uh, the much more importantly is these people you've brutalized for almost a century. How do you have such little awareness of their cultural and and religious traditions that you can't even make this is a propa- This is a military propaganda shoot. You'd think they would put in some fucking no. effort. I'm disappointed on their behalf, genuinely. You. would <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, their propaganda has really been slipping the last like couple of decades. It's been really, yeah, you really can all bad. You so far. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, they don't need to try it that hard anymore. I mean, uh, in the '70s at least, and the '60s, there was this attempt to try and sell Israel as this progressive utopia, mm-hmm. you know, like where everything is like civilized and all that. Social but democrats. Now there's fucking yeah, yeah. There's no, there's there's no need for that anymore. So they've really been slipping into the most. I I mean, and I don't just in their propaganda. When it comes to you know Arabic and the 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 Palestinian population inside the forty eight, they simply don't care. Even when you go through like uh, crossing points, uh, all of the all of the Arabic signs are like messed up and broken and not. Yeah. Great. They just noticed, don't care really.
1: I've noticed. I remember I saw one. Uh, Where was it? Oh, I don't remember now, but it was it was about it was on its way into the West Bank, and the the sign that they had. Where by the way, there are there are Palestinian Arabs living in the region, and the Arabic letters are disconnected. You know, like when you don't format I... it correctly. So uh, you know, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I yeah yani, yeah this is not some like you're in the middle of nowhere you don't have Arabs around, and this is the first diplomatic visit or something. Like th- this isn't you know. Anyways,
0: uh, it just speaks of the de facto segregation of their society. They yeah. don't like they don't know Arabs. They don't talk to Arabs. That's why yeah.
2: they've uh, marginalized even like the Arab Jews, where it's not they're yeah. not. Proud exactly of, of being Arab, and they even uh, they'll start saying the Hamas like they do, just even though they have the the letter yeah exactly and, right. and it's actually in Hebrew yeah, yeah, yeah. the Hebrew letter but well, Ashkenazis been,
0: can't pronounce it exactly the Hebrew letters like the Hebrew alphabet has all the letters like that can make all the sounds of the Arabic alphabet, but because the Ashkenazis can't pronounce it right yeah. all of Israeli society pretends that there are a couple of letters in their alphabet that doesn't exist
1: yeah it's yeah exactly that too look they they. They want to remove Palestinians. They hate Palestinians. They hate the Arabs. Uh, but they'll take their music. They'll take their food. They'll take their national dress. They'll take the land for sure.
2: I want to boost here Stephen Salaita's article. I always, every single time this comes up, just because I think it's really fantastic and it's not very long. And it's just, it's just about, to, I think the title is something like, uh, it's, it's uh, call it what it is, theft and not appropriation. And it's talking about it really just tackles those arguments head on about like, oh, well, we had the like some of the Arab Jews were eating hummus and falafel. And it's like, yes, but it wasn't because like it wasn't that doesn't make it Israeli. Hmm, like yeah. you can't like obviously uh, like uh, people throughout the Levant or people throughout the Middle East were eating uh, similar things. But just seeing how they turn and twist it. It's actually really fucking sick because it's not even just about uh, falafel and food and all this. Even... um I but this was in the Institute of for Palestine studies where they talked about uh, they you know the nakba when they kicked people out of their homes and then they took over their properties and they called it absentee property they even took uh, you know the palestinian embroidery tatriz, uh, and they took uh, they took the thobes they took the dresses and then they started putting it in their own museums and displays and then they started saying oh my grandma used to used to wear this like no yeah. the fuck she didn't like yeah. it's it,
3: It's It's uh, honestly, it
2: just feels like literally like taking our skin off silence of the lambs, putting Mm. it on their own faces.
0: It's only it's only like you see like but the argument falls apart, like the idea that, uh, oh, well, there are lots of Jews who you were in Arab countries, So they used to eat hummus and falafel. First of all, Arab countries are like 400 million people at this stage. (laughs) A Moroccan does not have the same hummus as a Palestinian, first of all. But that's not even the same thing. We have half a million uh, Israelis today of Polish descent. I have never heard them calling pierogies Israeli cuisine. Israeli mm-hmm.
1: Exactly right. Yeah.
0: They, there's 100,000 French Jewish Israelis. They never say croissant is Israeli food. It only works. They only do it with Palestinian food. And this is very deliberate mm-hmm. because they're trying to self-indigenize. And it's not because, oh, my ancestor used to eat this. Your ancestor used to eat everything because they're from everywhere.
1: mm the, the thing is that as hard as they try, we live in the dig- digital age um, and all of this is documented. They'll never get away with it. Um, they think they will, but I have never seen a single time where anybody posts anything about quote-unquote Israeli cuisine or Australian national dress without people burning, the, roasting the shit out of them about it. And the best part about it <laughs> yeah. is because the, 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 the dishes are so well-known internationally as well as, of course, amongst the 450, 500 million Arabs that exist in the region, that... The names of the foods are still in Arabic, for God's sake. Hummus is not, this has nothing to do with Hebrew or whatever other language they spoke before they, right? Same with, same with all of that, right? Kanafeh is not, anyways, Uh, (laughs) moving past this, let's, let's wind down a little bit since since we've kind of established that mostly as as you very succinctly put um it is it, the 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 support base for uh israel is the fact that it is a military base and that's what it exists it exists because of the umbilical of uh, imperialist american support as is very typical for the united states which supports every fascist dictator and tyrant and whatever settler colonial uh, entity that it manages to to, to uh, divert uh, incredibly necessary uh, national resources towards, uh, so no healthcare or debt repayment or God knows what else, uh, let your bridges collapse on top of you. But uh, Israel needs uh, another three hundred missiles that are just gonna you know what are essentially tubes of cardboard with sugar and uh, God knows what else <laughs> uh, in, in, in the missiles that they make. But anyway, so th- this century we've noticed, Alhamdulillah, is the century of, of waning American power. Mm. Which is beyond clear at this point. There's not going to be a resurgence. It's, it's a done deal. We've entered into the period of multipolarity. How does Israel's future, in your guys' eyes, look in, the, in, in, in light of the declining influence and, of course, subsequently in the future, declining ability to support Israel from the United States?
0: Well, I mean, the way things are looking, looks like Israelis are going to get even more racist than the uh, rabid with the way that they're oppressing Palestinians. I mean, there's two ways you can look at this. You could think, uh, oh, OK, maybe since uh, our support base is being eroded, maybe we can just try and solve the things out uh, South Africa or whatever. Uh, And the other stream is going to be like the traditional colonial stream, which is currently empowered in Israel and actually having a major like uh, uptick in power over the last three years or so. That's going to be like no, we can live by the sword. We will never be uh, we will never be dismantled or whatever. And I see the latter becoming a reality much later. And um, I think that uh, there is basically to paraphrase Ali Abou Na'ma's argument, which not exactly in these words, but uh, it is up to the Israelis to choose if it's going to be South Africa or Algeria.
1: <laughs> that's mm. so beautiful. Mm. Oh my God! Yeah. So you don't you don't see. Uh... Uh, Sorry, I'm just I'm pushing on the point because uh, we need to go
2: above uh, South Africa, really, because uh, it always strikes me. uh, We had a South African professor come visit to University and he was telling us about these kind of flaws with how the truth and reconciliation process went. And it always stood out to me just because um, he mentioned that in order to to not be prosecuted if you will or or punished you just had to admit and you didn't even have to apologize mm. like you could say like you know i killed a black child uh and not even say sorry and then they'd be like okay well at least the truth came out fuck that shit yeah. like uh, we've honestly suffered too much at this point mm. like they uh, just Gaza alone like i know we keep you know, recontextualize and everything, but really also just from October 7th till now is enough mm. uh, to, to know that what we need is some serious re education, frankly. Yeah. Like anything Any bit that is still hanging on to this ideology, uh, to this idea that because you are a Jewish person, you deserve to have this life on the the, the bones and the destruction of Palestinians, it needs to be eradicated.
0: Yeah, but I feel like also Western powers might try to salvage Israel in a way. Like to them, as long as you stay like this proxy for us, they don't care if it's an ethno-state or if it's a democracy or an authority or whatever a kingdom for all they care. So we could see something similar to what happened in South Africa with them swooping in and trying to force this kind of at least nominal formal transition to mm-hmm. equality while actually like South Africa today is is still under apartheid in the opinion of uh, many many South many Africans South Africa. especially economically where it's still owned by like 70% of the economy is owned by the white uh, minority still. So that might be the way that the world wants to play it. That might be like it's it's very difficult to determine how things go into the future. But again, it's I mean, resistance usually follows the oppression. It's not the other way around. So it's it's depending on how they go around things. It's how the resistance will react. And uh, it's not the other way around. I mean, Palestinians like I said have tried everything from the beginning they tried like all these letters and they tried to do Gandhi they tried to talk to the to the British and please reconsider but it doesn't work because at the end of the day it's not about that
2: it's not about being convinced uh, in these kind of simpler ways it has to stop being profitable and it has to stop being easy yeah. Yeah, it has to not okay. be easy to be yes. a Zionist. And
0: I think this is why we're seeing the gradual uh, extinction of liberal Zionists in the U.S., because you can no longer go out and support Israel without feeling bad, mm-hmm. without at least being ostracized to a certain degree by people around you. And I think that's, that's what Rowan really touched on. It's like not only do they want to have this carte blanche to do everything, they also want to be liked for it. Beautifully put.
1: A lot has been said today. Uh, this has been a very uh, dense episode. Shame on us for trying to fit so much in just like these under two hours. Uh, but inshallah, we'll have we'll have this lovely gang back for a separate separate episode uh, on a very interesting topic um, that we'll keep a surprise for now. I want to give one one final addendum. Uh, this is another liberal in the wall type, of course. Uh, scratch a, a liberal and a fascist bleeds, and this has been incredibly evident. Uh, with the current events that have been happening in Palestine. But uh, aside from this point, I still want to give the addendum. If anybody's listened to these entire two hours or so uh, and had uh, or sensed even a hint of anti-Semitism, you're a fucking idiot. You're an absolute intellectual moron. You deserve to be... (laughs) Anyways. look uh, try not to eat undercooked chicken all right that's the best thing that I can that's the best advice I can give you if mm. you felt any sort of anti-semitism Jews are to, to equate Zionism and Judaism or Israel and, and uh, Jewishness or Judaism is anti-semitic in and of itself Jews and Judaism has been an integral part of many uh, regions and nations across the world first and foremost and I take pride in this as an Arab and as, uh, as an Iraqi uh, and as a member of the Arab world in general is that Jews have always been an integral aspect of our communities and our societies if it wasn't for Arab political existence historically as well as the presence of Islam and its tolerance of, of, uh, of um, differing religious trends and their, their legal systems or what else uh, international Judaism would have not uh, been able to flourish let alone possibly even survive into the modern age and this is not my admission this is an admission of, uh, of uh, many Jewish activists themselves um, Jews have been as I mentioned an integral aspect of many of our societies uh, the Arab people, and particularly the Palestinians, first and foremost amongst them, had never, ever in their history had anything against Jews. Um, in fact, they were a treasured and welcomed and integral part of Palestinian society and communities for many generations, going back all the way to Salah Hadin when he brought back Jews after the Crusaders were kicked out in the late 12th century. So to 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 assume that any of us intend any sort of anti-Semitism is you trying to be bad faith and trying to divert the discussion from the war crimes that are being ha- that are happening based on a ethno-nationalist illegal settler colonial state that has no legal recourse to doing what it does and on top of this no legal recourse to continue its current existence as an ethno-nationalist settler colonial entity solutions have been discussed and uh, the international community as a whole has spoken, Uh, I don't think, or I think it's a bit on the nose to be, uh, or not on the nose, that's not the appropriate terminology. I think it's a bit um, silly to assume that all these tens of millions and uh, God knows how many others who have come out in demonstration all these governments that have uh, come out in support of Palestine and uh, even went to as far as to sever relations or call ambassadors from Israel. I think it's a bit silly to assume that all these people are simply anti-Semitic. Maybe there is something that Israel is doing not tied to Judaism, in fact, possibly anti what Judaism teaches as a religion that uh, they've been carrying out to the detriment of their image internationally. Uh, as well as domestically.
0: I just, I just think it's important to emphasize that it, this is not a holy war. It's not a religious war. Mm. Yeah. People need to understand that there have been Jewish members of the Palestine Liberation Organization, and there have been Muslim Bedouin tribes fighting with the Zionist militias in '48. It is not a religious war. It is about imperialism.
1: Exactly right. Beautifully. Bent. And if
2: I could just add, really, really quickly, um, you know, okay, we always say that this idea that we would have been happier about having been kicked out of our homes if it was by a group other than Jews is obviously ludicrous. If it was Buddhists, if it was just like Egyptian Muslims, if it was any other group, it still would be, you know, what it is, which is, you know, just a grave violation and uh, a horrible tragedy in a lot of ways. And I just want to quickly say that um, recently I read something by Suad Amr. She has a book called Mother of Strangers. It's based on a true story. And I just bring it up because uh, it talks about... How uh, a Palestinian uh, Jewish woman took in, it's not only about this, but a Palestinian Jewish woman took in uh, these children whose parents uh, were killed or separated from them during the Nakba. Uh, and, and their life after that. And it was it really emphasized to me the on the human level uh, what could have been and what happened uh, instead, where we used to have this religious festival, Nabi Rubin, and instead now it, all these lands were confiscated and the festival would never happen again. And all these ties were just really uh, decimated.
1: Beautifully, beautifully put. And thanks for the recommendation, of course. I would like to conclude today by uh, thanking uh, our fantastic guests you guys now not only have been a treasure trove of information today for the episode, but also the work that you've done uh, on the Decolonized Palestine website is uh, beyond amazing. Um, I cannot begin to be grateful enough for you, uh, as of course as a Muslim, as an Arab, and as a eternal ally of the Palestinian uh, liberation struggle, as all uh, good-meaning people, I hope, would be. The information war is the most important war right now because... For the longest time during the struggle, the other side has had their way of telling their story, which is full of falsification and lies and omissions. Meanwhile, the truth has always been obfuscated. But now, for the first time in a very long time, we're seeing the, the proper narrative, the correct narrative, uh, the truth come out for the first Time in possibly uh, the first uh, occurrence uh, in 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 the in the history of the struggle, and you guys have played uh, your small but incredibly uh, vital role in that. And yeah, I want to thank you on behalf of us, of course, and I'm sure our, our audience as well.
2: Thank you so much. It's been honestly really lovely to to hear this. Uh, that it's been so helpful because sometimes. Uh, when you are seeing kind of the horrible things that we've been seeing, especially lately, we are very cognizant of just wanting to feel like we're doing our part yeah. in any way. Uh, so it means a lot that so many people have uh, found it instrumental and have hopefully been uh, inspired to go be part of the actions.
0: Basically, I just want to echo what Rowan said. And I want to tell people to just, I mean, we 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 are the streets. And if you look at the streets, you see it all in uh, the flags, the colors of the Palestinian flag. You see the minimal people going out to support uh, Israel and their ongoing genocide and ethnic cleansing of Palestine. And um, just people to make as much sound as they can. Like even if you have a little bumper sticker somewhere, like keep it alive, like people need to understand that there's an injustice going on and this is not a status quo that is sustainable. We cannot go back to before October the 7th. We cannot be expected to just suffer uh, indefinitely and die silently so not to, you know, be so disruptive to the world. People need to understand that Palestinians deserve to be free, they deserve to return, and they deserve to, like every other uh, occupied or colonized person, to be able to resist their occupier and their colonizer without any ifs and or buts.
1: As is their legal and moral right. Mm-hmm. Regardless, please shout out to anything that you have uh, that people uh, that people should check out. Uh, any organizations, any websites, campaigns, anything. Uh, please let them know.
2: Uh, I want to recommend uh, We Are Not Numbers, which uh, mentioned earlier uh, in this talk. Uh, Palestinian youth electronic defaultless reporting is really incredible. On social media, I really like Let's Talk Palestine's uh, mm-hmm. quick, sort of very shareable infographic type mm-hmm. things. Uh, and there's also, there's uh, Birzeit, the university students have come up with a campaign, Rise for Gaza. It's probably going to be changed the name to Rise for Palestine soon. But that's, uh, it's trying to get across uh, people's stories and these facts uh, out to the world. Uh, Fathri, do you have anybody in mind?
0: Uh, there's this little group called Decolonize Palestine. Oh, they have done,
2: <laughs> we haven't <been> boosted enough. <laughs>
0: I know but like if, if you want like a very quick rundown and not take you five books to read like I, I hope that it's uh, useful in that capacity but uh, I just think it's important to emphasize that we don't cover like news we're not like up to date we're all we focus mostly on like myths and the past so it's more like of a historical analytical kind of thing.
2: To try to help you read the news with a more mm-hmm.
0: critical eye. Yeah, to try and contextualize it. Like in some, a lot of our readings also are not just related to Palestine, but rather things that help you understand a lot of concepts like nationalism or other things that seem so natural today, but are just as, you know, made up as everything else in the last few hundred years. So uh, I, I think to, to follow up on the current events, the, the websites that Rowan suggested are, are excellent. And if you need places to donate, uh, Rowan has a, a good list of recommendations for donations.
2: Uh, medical aid for Palestine, MAP, uh, Doctors Without Borders, uh, PCRF. Uh, hopefully, they can get aid in soon. It's obviously been very difficult.
0: But it's important to mention also that uh, money is having a very, very difficult time entering Gaza. So be very skeptical of people trying to mm. gather money for Gaza. Very, like, very few organizations, such as the ones we mentioned, by the way, they do have access to Gaza, limited and restricted access, but they do have some access. So those are safe donations if you want to make them. And they're the first responders that are critically needed and who have also had dozens of martyrs in this last escalation.
2: Yeah, and uh, to say that uh, uh, what Palestinians in Gaza have been repeatedly saying is they want action, they want a ceasefire, they want pressure to to stop the bombing on them first and foremost. Uh, I don't have it uh, off the top of my head now, but somebody said, well, if if you can't be part of those actions for for some reason, or you can't do more to to demand a ceasefire, and but you really want to donate, uh, she came up with a list of of other uh, individuals or you know political pressure groups that you could uh, donate to. I'll hopefully. Hopefully send that to as well, along with the map.
1: And everything will be in the uh, in the description box below, or uh, wherever else around where you're listening. Um, we'll have all the dedicated links. All right, and this has been the D program. I'm Hakim. I'm JT. Hey,
2: I'm, I'm Rowan. Free Palestine.
1: Hey, from the river to the West sea. <laughs>